this morning, we are going to spend some time in the Bible together. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, raise your hand and we've got an usher that can bring you a Bible. Um, as a church, we've been working through the, the gospel of Luke together. And it just so happens that today we finish the gospel of Luke on Easter. It was on purpose. <laughs> But the chapter that we're going to look at here talks about the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what we're going to, we're going to study here today. Um, it's the conclusion of the story. And for many of you, I hope, uh, I challenged you at the beginning of this study a few months ago to read along on your own during the week and read through the Gospel of Luke. And we gave you a little reading plan to do that with. Um, and, uh, and, and so if you've been doing that, you've been coming along with this reading plan and this week we land in chapter 24 at the, the end of this gospel. Now, as we've been going through this, this, this book, and if you haven't been here, you don't know this, but if you have been here, you've been seeing this theme that I keep telling you about. In fact, you guys can probably tell me, what is the theme of Luke? What did Jesus come to do? Yes, to seek and to save to seek and to save. That's what we've been learning about as we followed along with the story. And, and, and last week on Palm Sunday, we saw that the life of Jesus and the story of this gospel has been moving its way to this big crescendo. And last week on Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem and he receives this royal welcome. The people are throwing their clothes down in front of the, the colt that he's riding in on. And people are singing Hosanna and waving palm branches. And there's this incredible um, experience that takes place as Jesus is welcomed in. But as the week went on, and it was only a week from last Sunday to this Sunday, but as the week went on, things began to change. The tide turned and by Friday, Jesus was crucified. He went from being welcomed as a king and the, a great victor to ultimately being betrayed and crucified on the cross. And those that were involved in all of that, they would have thought, that's the end of the story. We just had a good Friday service together on Friday and we remembered the cross and how broken all of those followers of Jesus must have been and how they would have felt in all of that. But that's not how the story ends. It doesn't end there in chapter 23. And today, as we look at this last chapter, what I want to show you is we're going to see it in, in three, kind of like a good play. There's three distinct scenes that we're going to look at here in chapter 24. And from it, I want to share a few things that I pray are useful in our lives today. But before we do that, let me begin with prayer and then we'll read this first scene together. All right. So if you would pray with me, Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for Easter. I thank you for a day that we can set aside to remember this incredible, incredible event that took place 2,000 years ago when you, in your almighty power, raised up a dead man, your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, today we celebrate that event. We celebrate that event because of what it means for us. And we are so grateful, Lord, that we can be gathered together. Lord, I pray for every person that's here today. I pray, God, that you would 
draw close to them today, that they would learn about you, that they would think about you and that they'd be able to worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak this morning and that you would fill our hearts with joy as we remember the story of the resurrection of Jesus. So we thank you and we offer this time to you and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. All right, well, let's read this first section here together. So in your Bibles, in, in Luke chapter 24, if you're having a hard time finding it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third one in the New Testament. And we're gonna start by reading the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 24. And here's what it says. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. I wanna pause here. These weren't like high fashion guys. That's not what's going on here. When they see their clothes, what Luke is describing here is he's describing an encounter with these celestial beings. They're angels, okay? When it says when their clothes are dazzling, they're literally glowing, okay? And so in verse five, it says, and as they were frightened because of these dazzling, dazzlingly dressed people, as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, listen, why do you seek the living among the dead. He's not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, that's the disciples, and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened. All right, so here in in scene one, what I want you to see here and what I want you to think about is in scene one, we've got these followers of Jesus that are seeking the living among the dead. They're looking looking around here and and these, these angels say, look, you can't seek the living among the dead. Now, they didn't think they were looking for the living among the dead. They were looking for the dead among the dead. They were coming back to a tomb because what they were going to do is all the ceremonial preparation of the body after death. Jesus died on that Good Friday, but for the Jews, Saturday was their holy day. That was the Sabbath. So instead of being able to prepare the body like they normally would when someone died, they couldn't do that. They had to put everything on hold for the weekend, basically. And so when Saturday comes to a close, early Sunday morning, their Sabbath is over, So these women take all these spices and and, and cloths that they would wrap them and prepare the body in. They take all these things back to the tomb, the very tomb that they had just put Jesus in on Friday afternoon, all right? And so they come to the tomb looking for a dead body. They're looking for the body of Jesus to take care of him. But the angels appear in this empty tomb and say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And they're kind of confused. 
Uh, we don't understand what you mean. We're not looking for living. We're looking for the body of Jesus. All right, that's what's going on here. And what these angels speak to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? It still rings true for us in a symbolic way. Because what happens for us a lot of times is we also look for the living in dead places. But here's the first point that I want you to, to hear today as we think about this. You won't find life in dead places. You won't. You won't find life in dead places. They wouldn't find Jesus in a tomb because tombs are for dead people. But we look for life in dead places all the time. This is, this is what I mean by that. Um, take our bad habits, for example. Okay, um, you know, one of the, the, the bad habits that's kind of become universal in our world in the past 20 years or so all deals with one of these things, right? And I don't just mean the doom scrolling, but I just mean the addiction to, I gotta see this thing, right? Every spare minute, moments that we have, we're pulling these things up. People pull up to a stoplight. I know you see it. You see it all the time. Pull up to a stoplight. Sometimes don't even get to the stoplight yet. They just start slowing down. You ever seen the, been behind those people that stop like 30 feet in front of the stoplight? Why? Because they'd already pulled up their phone and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna stop up there in a second, right? Every second we grab this thing and we're just, we're looking for something. I don't know what. You're picking up your kid. You're looking at this. You're standing in line somewhere. You're looking at this. You got two minutes before this happens or that happens. Oh, where, what, what have I missed? And, and we've gotten these habits that it's not giving you life. It's really stealing a lot of your life. I'm not here just to knock phones, but it's these habits, right? And we get into these, these processes that we get wrapped up in. And we know it's not bringing us life, but it's hard to stop. And we also do this in bigger life categories, bigger things, often without knowing it. Because really what we hope for, all of us want this, all of us want to be happy and fulfilled in our lives. That's what we all want. We all share that as human beings. We all wanna be happy and fulfilled. And what we do is we believe that if we can find something how many people have this thing in their mind? Like, if I can just get that thing, I'll be happy. If I can just get that job, then I know that'll fix all my problems. If I can only find my soulmate, you know, then I'll be complete as a person. Or if I can just feel that experience of what it's like to be that person, then I will be in, in full. And we search and we look and we strive. But what happens is, we come up empty and disillusioned. How many times have you gotten that thing that you thought would, would do it for you and I'll be satisfied if I can just get to there and you get it. And then you're like, eh, maybe not. It wasn't actually that thing, it was this thing. We move to the next one, looking for it. And unfortunately, that's how these women here who came to find Jesus, that's how they felt. They, and the disciples as well. It was unbelievable for them. And they were left, it says there that they left marveling. What does it mean by that? They were bewildered. They didn't know what was going on. They come here, they're looking for the body of Jesus. He's not there. They meet these angels and they tell them to remember this. And they're like, well, yeah, we remember this, but what does that mean? And so then they wander back to where everybody else is gathered together and they say, Jesus isn't there. 
We just went to the tomb and he's not there. What are we supposed to do about this? And the disciples are like, look, I know it's been a rough weekend, but you ladies are seeing things. And Peter, one of the disciples, and another gospel tells us, and John also, they run back to the tomb and they peek in. And Peter comes in and he peeks his head and he's like, okay, there's the, the linen cloths that they used to kind of quickly wrap up the body before they put him in the tomb. They're folded up and sitting here, but he's not there. And it just says, they leave marveling. They, they're like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened. All right. Now let's go ahead and look at scene two. All right. And this starts in verse 13 to verse 35. Here's what it says. And it says that very day. So the very same day that this has happened on this Easter Sunday, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, listen, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So there's some supernatural something, something happening here, okay? They, can't, they don't recognize him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, Jesus, playing dumb, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. And moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it's toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And listen to this in verse 31. And it says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
All right, so here in, in scene two, scene one, we, we saw people seeking the living among the dead. But here in scene two, closed eyes are opened. Now, these two followers of Jesus explained it well when they were describing to Jesus what had taken place. They told him the story about himself, right? Jesus says, well, no, tell me about it. What's, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And Jesus, Jesus then is, is just acting like a, a normal listener that doesn't know what's happening. But these followers, they described it well. Their hopes, the hope that they had had, had been dashed. He, they say there specifically, we hope that he was the one. You have to understand, Jesus' death was devastating to his followers. And the empty tomb was confusing. They were already in a bad place. The one that they had hoped would be the Messiah. He's dead. And so for them, they're like, that, well, the, there went that. And, and it hurt them. They loved him. They cared for him. And he's dead. But then with this empty tomb, they're all confused. They didn't know what to make of, of things in life. And isn't that just kind of how life unfolds for us a lot of times? You know, the things that you imagine that will someday be, what happens when it doesn't turn out that way? It happens over and over in life. Um, in, my, in my household recently, we've had some conversations about what does it mean to be an adult? And, and one of the things that has come up is like, oh, well, when you turn 18, you're an adult. And I'm like, well, okay, that's, a, that's an idea. But are you really? Have you really experienced everything that you need to experience? Is it life experience? Is it an age? Is, what is it that, that gives you adulthood? Is it independence? Because what we find is that life is hard. And, and sadly, disappointment can become the norm. Honestly, I think one of the things that makes an adult is where we get kind of just disillusioned with life. When you've, you've gone through enough stuff that you're like, oh, yeah, it's not quite the way I thought it might be. When you're young and hopeful, and for those of you who are young and hopeful, stay hopeful. That's good. I'm not telling you to, to put it away. But when you're young, like the world's in front of you. And there's so many things that you want to be able to travel and do and see. Things you want to experience. People you want to meet. Places you want to go. There's excitement. There's joy. And that's good. These are good things. But as life goes on, a lot of times our big dreams kind of fade and dim. And we get to a place where we get a little bit jaded, a little bit disillusioned. That's what these, these followers of Jesus were feeling. They're thinking, man, we really, you know, when I first heard that, what Jesus was saying and what he was doing, I was like, oh, I don't want to give myself to this. But eventually I put my trust in it. It's like, yes, he's the one, he's the way. And then now he's dead. It's like, isn't this just life? It happens, and this is where I find myself. But what happens here is, is that, that their eyes were, were kept, their eyes were closed, their eyes were kept from recognizing him even when he shows up and starts walking with them. All right? Jesus appears, but their eyes can't see him. Faith is born when our eyes are opened and we recognize Jesus. That's how people come to faith. If you've been, if you were outside faith and you're inside the faith now, or if you're outside the faith now and you wonder, why do these people do the things they, they do? How do these people actually, what's happened is their eyes have been opened to Jesus. And when they recognize him for who he is, faith grows in that. 
I think it's interesting here that, that their eyes were opened when Jesus gave them bread. Did you notice that? That's what happened in the story. Now, that made me think this week. Well, how was it that Jesus broke bread? Did he have like the Jesus twist? That, that he'd take a loaf of bread and it was like something he did that they're like, wait a minute, that's Jesus's move. He's the only one. Was it the, the, the loaf, the, the bat breaker Jesus over the knee, you know? the Bo Jackson of bread, like snap it in half. They're like, wait, only Jesus does that. The Superman, I don't know. But something about the way that he broke that bread made them say, well, hold on, that's Jesus. These disciples knew Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. They had just seen Jesus. He's dead now and they couldn't recognize him, but this happens and all of a sudden they're like, wait a minute, that's Jesus. And then, of course, he vanishes. And that really throws him for a loop. Like, okay, it definitely, it definitely was Jesus. And I think that no matter how he broke the bread, whether or not that was what gave them the clue, it was the richness of relationship that the disciples recognized. Their eyes were opened because they recognized the relationship and who it was. You might have had a glimpse, but you don't know, know him. And that's how, that's how a lot of times people are. A lot of people haven't, who, who haven't seen this, they, they don't know who Jesus really is if they don't have a relationship with him. And the hard truth is that a lot of people spend their time on, on earth, all their lives on earth, never having their eyes opened. But they're so close. Think about these two men. They've been walking for miles to this town with Jesus right next to them. And they didn't re realize who he was. They were so close. In, in the book of Romans in the Bible, it says this in Romans chapter 10. It'll be on the screen here for you. Paul, when he's, he's writing this incredible theological treatise, what he says is, the word, the word is near you. It's in your mouth, it's in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. We can be so close, yet so far. Do you realize people can be raised in church and never know Jesus? They can be walking right alongside of other people that know Jesus and never recognize him. You can be interested in the Bible. You can follow religious traditions. You can go through the motions with your spiritual eyes closed, completely closed. So that then begs the question, well, then how are eyes opened? How is it that people can see? I, I think this is fascinating. With all of the miraculous things that are recorded in the scripture, you go from cover to cover here in the Bible with all the miracles, all the, the healings and, and, and the casting out of demons and all these radical things. Did you know that only Jesus healed the blind? If you go through it, in the scripture at least, the only one who ever heals the blind is Jesus. Through the whole Bible, only Jesus can open the eyes of those who can't see. And I'll take that one step further and say, and also, by the way, we don't have one instance in scripture where a blind person was rejected by Jesus. There's never a place where a blind person came to Jesus and said, Jesus, heal me. And Jesus said, mm, no, not you. I'm going on. 
Every blind person that came to Jesus and asked to be given sight was given sight. Now, where then, if Jesus is the one who can open blind eyes, where are spiritual eyes opened? It's in the presence of Jesus. He alone is the savior. And it can happen at any age. It can happen in any place. But each person has the opportunity to respond. All right, so now we come here to the third and final scene in verses 36 to 53. Look what happens next here. It says, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Now, remember, many of these people now have already had an experience where they've seen the Savior. Okay, it was weird, but they saw it. But now here comes Jesus in the the crowd with all of them that are discussing these crazy experiences they've just had. And they are afraid. They're startled. They're thinking they see a spirit. In verse 38, it says, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, at least they're full of joy now, and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. The third and final scene that we see in Luke is we see life being found. Life is found. Life is found in Jesus, the living Christ. You have to understand this. Jesus isn't just an idea or a representation of some religion. He is a living person who came from God and has returned to God, where he is waiting to be united with his followers for eternity. And this was the big point that Jesus was getting across to the disciples. This is why Jesus did what he did to let the people know, I am a living being. You're not seeing things. I'm not a hallucination. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I'm a person. See my hands, see my feet, give me something to eat. He wanted them to know 
He said there, for a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus is physically alive. Now, I understand. Guys, I've been in in Easter services my whole life. I understand this is a difficult story to believe. It's a hard story to believe. It was terribly difficult for the disciples to believe. And they were standing next to him in the flesh. I mean, the way that I picture this meal is as they give Jesus some fish and he's sitting there eating. I think the disciples, one at a time, were kind of coming up by Jesus. He's like, he says, I mean, I see him, I hear him. Is it really him? He's like, yeah, go ahead, guys. It's, it's fine. Yeah, shake my hand, pat me on the back, do what you need to do. I, really, I'm really here. It's really me. And if this story, this unbelievable story is true, the entire world would be turned upside down. And it was. It was. If you're not a Christian here today, let me tell you this. Many of the people sitting in this room around you have a testimony of their world being turned upside down when they met Jesus. Things have changed in their lives they never thought would change. They see things differently than they saw before meeting Jesus. They live life differently than they lived before meeting Jesus. Everything about who they are and everything that they are has been changed. This is what Jesus does. He came and spoke peace to these followers and he has brought peace into our lives. That's why we celebrate Easter. This is why we worship and rejoice. This is why we sing songs of praise, even in a fallen world and in a hard place. There's terrible things happening around this world right now as we speak. We know it. That's real and that's true. There's wars being fought, people being killed, exploited, taken advantage of. There's a lot of dark, evil, wicked things that are happening right now. And that's true. And we don't want to neglect that and act like that's not true. But what is also true is that there is a savior who has come to seek and to save the lost and to transform lives and to give hope and to give peace and to bring light even in the dark places. And that is why we celebrate Easter. Jesus comes and declares peace to you and says, why are you troubled? I have overcome death. And in place of death, he promises life. One of my very favorite verses in the whole Bible is in John 10, 10. And and in the second half of that verse, Jesus says, I have came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That's why he came to give us true life, true life. And even as Christians, we have to stop looking for life in dead places. Life isn't found in the tomb. It's found among the living. Life is found in Jesus who is alive. And we're called to live life among the lost and to bring life to those who do not have it by being witnesses. And as it says here in our text, by being clothed in power from on high. I'm looking forward to the year ahead of us. I know that we as a church, as a community, as a world have been coming through some really bumpy times, right? These past couple of years, as far as 
global confusion is concerned, uh, this is unprecedented, at least in my lifetime, where all of us going through this and fighting this, this virus and what's happened with all of that. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that much of that is far behind us now. And I'm looking forward to what God might do in us and through us, among us as a church. And what I'm praying for and would invite you to pray for if you're part of this church with me is, is that he would use us to bring hope and to bring life into the world. We've got people all around us right now that are hopeless this morning. People that need to have their eyes opened and their lives changed. And we're people that are walking with Jesus. And in the same way that he's given us life and given us hope, he wants to give them life and give them hope. And so I invite you to pray that prayer with me. And, and I just pray that God would breathe his spirit into us and fill us with life. So as we finish here today, thinking about just how do you respond to this? I, I, in most of my messages, what I try to always do is I try to end with giving you some idea of a response. And what that means is most of the time as I'm preparing, I'm sitting and thinking about that. And I think, okay, if I just heard this message, how would I respond? What, what can I do with that? I, you've, you've heard somebody talk about these things. First off, I'd say that if you're here today and you know your spiritual eyes are closed, then ask Jesus to give you sight. If you're here and you're like, oh yeah, the whole spiritual thing, I'm blind to that. I don't get it. I don't understand it. My eyes are closed. Well, what I'm telling you is what Jesus did here for these people, what he wants to do for you is he wants to give you sight. He wants to open your eyes and he is near. He's always near. You're not too far from him. It's not too late. Your life can be different. And all you're to do is to call out to him in your heart and say, Lord, open my eyes. That's what prayer is, guys. It's conversation. It's talking with God. And if, on the other hand, if your eyes are open, if you're like, yes, I am a believer, I do, I, I know Jesus, my uh, encouragement for you this morning is to make sure that you aren't looking for life among the dead things of the world. Because that's a pull that many of us as Christians uh, feel a lot of times. If there are things that are standing between you and Jesus, repent. That's what we're called to do. Repent, turn away from those things and ask him to clothe you anew with power from on high and send you into the world that he's placed you in. There is life in Jesus and we find life among the living savior who is risen. Amen. Stand with me if you will. And I'm gonna pray for us as we finish our service here this morning. Father God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, I am so grateful for the powerful name of Jesus here this morning. And I'm thankful, Lord God, for what you have done in my life as you are transforming me, as you are moving me from darkness to light, as you have opened my eyes and you're giving me peace and you're changing me. I thank you for that today, Lord. And, and this morning, God, I pray that I would not be alone in that, but instead that every person who can hear my voice here today would not listen to me, but they would listen to your voice. And that, Lord, you would do miraculous things among us here today. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here today that need their eyes opened, I pray, God, that you, in your spiritual 
touch, Lord, that only you have. The, the, the power is all yours, Lord. That you would touch them and that you would open their eyes. That you would change their heart. That you would give them a new life starting today on this Easter of 2022. And Lord, for those who, who do know you, but maybe came in today with something between them and you. Maybe they've been looking for life in the wrong places and they've been called back to the, the dead things of, of the world. Lord, I pray that you would free them today, that you would bring freedom and deliverance and resurrection and healing and wholeness and holiness to them. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the life that you give. May we rejoice in that. May our hearts be overflowing with the goodness of the message of Easter. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.